Acts chapter 13, and I'm going to read verses 44 through 52 from the New Living Translation. While you're turning, just before I came up this morning, I got a text from my husband. He's on daddy duty this weekend, which was not intentional. We were supposed to have grandparent childcare, but my mom decided to go and have fun with her friends. What in the world? This is like grandparent duty weekend. She's like, um, no. <laughs> I guess she has that right. But my husband's doing a wonderful job with the kids. He sent me a text. He said, me and Addie, we're praying for you. And Josie's in the nursery. So I knew that that was a blessing as well. Josie's our four-year-old and Addie's our six-year-old. So they sent their regards. Acts chapter 13, beginning at verse 44. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, It was necessary that we preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region. Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city. And they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I want to offer for our time today, reclaiming joy. Reclaiming joy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful gift of an, a blessed weekend. Thank you, God, for all that you did through the women's conference yesterday. You are amazing. Thank you, God, for all that you've done already today in our worship and in our gathering. You are amazing. Thank you, God, for the way that you're uniting us. You're uniting us in the overflow and you're uniting us across the world. We praise you for that. And now, Lord, we thank you for the power of your word. You said that your word does not return to you void but will accomplish that for which it was sent, and we believe that right now. We believe that your word will accomplish the message of healing. Your word will accomplish all the messages of deliverance. Your word will bring salvation because you ordained it. So Holy Spirit, have your way. Do what only you can do. We, your servants, are listening. In Jesus' name, let the redeemed of the Lord say, amen. Amen. There is so much in our world that threatens to steal our joy. Uh, you can just start with the news, for example. I am amazed at how much goes into 24-hour news to capture our attention. There are cameras from every angle to make sure that you don't get bored. There's a ticker across the bottom to make sure that you understand something important is happening every moment. And my favorite, breaking news. Have you noticed that breaking news happens every hour? Have you noticed that yet? How is it breaking news if it's all the time? 
But there's this, there's a, there's a culture behind the 24-hour news cycle. And that culture is if we can create within you a tension, a bit of anxiety, then you won't turn it off for fear of missing out. And studies are now showing that the more often we spend time on the news, on television, on, on newspapers, on online news, the more we're reading current events and news, the more prone we are for depression and anxiety and general sadness. And if the news is not a problem, social media makes it even better. Uh, my friend Grant Skelton says that we have a generation that suffers from OCD, not obsessive compulsive disorder, but obsessive comparison disorder. We now see all of our false selves presented before the world. Our false selves having fun on vacation. Our false selves smiling at work. Our false selves having the best life ever. And what happens is that younger generations see all of these glorious, glamorous pictures and say, if only I had a life like that. If only I had a job like that. If only my kids were as good as that. Those of older generations know the truth. That there were eight pictures taken before that picture where everyone is smiling. <laughs> we know the truth. How much time it took to get your makeup just right so that it looked flawless. We know the truth behind the smoke screens. But younger generations are still more prone to compare themselves to others than ever before. Our younger generations now, 18 and under, have the highest diagnoses of anxiety than any other generation before them. Struggling every single day with the constant messages, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not working hard enough. Day after day, the world is telling them you don't deserve to be alive. And here comes the message of the enemy. So it, when it's not in the news and it's not in social media, the enemy can rise up within us. And we're going to work and have these thoughts within our minds. You know, it's going to be an awful day today. We, we're working in our family lives and in our friendships. And here comes the enemy coming against that joy, trying to bring us down. You do know that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. You do know that the devil would love for there to be no difference between you and an unbeliever. No difference between you and those who don't know the Lord. He works hard to make sure that our countenance is the same as those who don't know Jesus. He works hard to prove that knowing the Lord makes no difference in this life at all. But today, we've come to set the record straight. Today, we've come to take hold of the joy that God has promised every believer. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. It's the joy of the Lord that anchors us in tough times. It's the joy of the Lord that gives us real joy. And we're not talking about happiness. Happiness is a circumstantial thing. Pastor Steve said earlier that our happiness is defined by our happenings. But real joy is not defined by circumstance or happenings. Real joy is defined by the Lord himself. And the Bible says for every believer there is joy. For in the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy. And at God's right hand there's pleasure forevermore. And so we are in war. We are in war with everything in the world that tries to steal your joy and everything in God that tries to anchor your joy. Friends, we're at war right now with everything in your mind that tries to bring you down, but everything in God that's trying to lift you up. There's a tension at play right now. And the question is, how can we lean forward in joy and not be brought down? 
How can we have real Christian joy in a world that's full of evil and darkness? How can we have joy when our very lives are at stake? Paul and Barnabas knew this reality. Their lives were at stake because they were following Jesus. And as it is today, if you really follow Jesus, if you really want to be obedient to the word of God, your life will be at stake. If you really follow Jesus, you will have enemies. If you really follow Jesus, people won't always like you. If you really follow Jesus, even some of your family members will be mad. Isn't there a witness in this house? The cost of following Christ is great. And if we follow Jesus all the way, it just might lead us to the cross. Paul and Barnabas understood this. And when they were in the, 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 the synagogue, when they were preaching a good news gospel, everybody was happy. But the moment they began talking about the crucifixion, the moment they began talking about who Jesus really was, then everyone got mad. And their lives were at stake and the challenges were great. But the Bible tells us in the text at the end, but the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. How could they be filled with joy when everything around them tried to bring them down? How could they be filled with joy when, when it seemed like their lives would be taken? Well, I think the first thing that the text tells us is these believers had joy because they embraced the good news of the gospel. And you and I, we can have joy in the midst of this dark and evil world when we embrace the good news of the gospel. There's a beautiful image set up in this text. Paul and Barnabas are in the city and they're ministering the gospel and they made their way to the synagogue on the Sabbath because the people there urged them to stay. And after the, the time that the Pentateuch was read in the synagogue, Paul and Barnabas stood up and began to testify. I, I'm a preacher's kid, my dad's a pastor, and, and when we were growing up, we used to have testimony service. And during testimony service, it would be like open mic night in the church, which is why we don't have testimony service anymore. Because not everybody knows what a testimony is. <laughs> it's not a time to vent about the same things every single week like uh, Deacon Dave did when I was growing up. So when Deacon Dave would take the mic, everyone would say, oh, we know what that is. He's going to talk about the gout. He's going to talk about the arthritis. And then he's going to say, y'all pray for me. And then after about 10 weeks, you think, but didn't we pray for you on that already? So we used to have testimony service and, and people would take the mic and take the advantage of that. But perhaps this is a biblical tradition. This is something that was happening in synagogues long before there was a church of testimony service. And so after the Pentateuch was read, Paul and Barnabas began to talk about Jesus. They talked about how God brought the Israelites out of bondage, out of Egypt, out of the land of bondage. They talked about how God brought the Israelites through the wilderness and settled them in the promised land. They talked about how God sent them judges and priests and then ultimately God responded to their request for a king. He talked about David, a king after God's own heart. And he talked about how the people of Israel began to reject God's tenets and reject God's will and how God was silent. And then Paul and Barnabas said, well, one day God broke the silence by sending Jesus Christ, his only son. They said in the synagogue boldly that Jesus came to save the world first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And then they began to say, and because the Jews did not accept the message, we've come to declare to the Gentiles the good news of the gospel. And as Paul began to talk about how Jesus came, as he talked about how Jesus died, he then said, but Jesus rose with all power in his hand. And one day Jesus is coming back to judge the quick and the dead. 
You see, this is the good news. And sometimes I think we forget just how good the good news is. That Jesus came to forgive us of our sins. Jesus came to take our ills upon him. That by his stripes we are healed. Why? Because he chose to be wounded for our transgressions. He chose to be bruised for our iniquity. And when you and I deserve to die, Jesus said not so. He said take upon me what they deserved. And one day when they lifted him upon the cross, he did not deserve to die. But because we deserve to die. He took our place. He forgave us of our sins. He gave us life everlasting. And because he rose again, he gave us power to live for him. And I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. David said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Make me happy for what it means to be saved. And if we're going to have joy, we've got to reflect on who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who saved us out of our sins. Jesus is the one who loved us when we didn't love ourselves. Jesus is the one who came to be with us. And while Buddha might have wise sayings, Jesus is wisdom incarnate. While Hinduism has many gods, Jesus is the one God, the true King and the true Lord. And while science and rationality may have answers, Jesus is the answer, the answer for every problem the answer for every need. This is the good news that he came and he died and he rose and he's coming again. Thank you, God, for the good news of the gospel. The believers had joy because they embraced the good news of the gospel. But secondly, I believe the text tells us that the believers had joy because they understood what it meant to be chosen. They understood what it meant to be chosen. Once again, Paul and Barnabas are standing in the synagogue. They're retracing the, the ancient history of God and his people. And as they're going through the history, they're rehearsing the litany of God's ability to choose whoever he chooses. So they're going through the litany and they remind the people that God chose uh, Cain, uh, Abel over Cain. God then chose uh, Shem over the rest of his brothers. God chose Abraham over Lot. God chose Joseph over his brothers. And all the while they're talking about God's chosenness and people are thinking that that must mean the Jews. But then when they get to the end at verse 47, then he says, and then God sent himself as a light to the Gentiles. Now the way that the synagogue was set up was that all of the prominent Jews sat in the front. The synagogue was like an octagon. It was like a big circle, and the podium was kind of in the middle. And so in the first round of chairs were the rabbis, the important ones, the smart ones. After them were the wealthy ones. After them were the ones with influence. And after them were the leaders in the town. And way, way in the back of the synagogue, sometimes not even allowed in, were the Gentiles. And after Paul and Barnabas started talking about this good news, they then said that God has chosen not only the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. And the Bible tells us in this verse that the Gentiles began to thank Paul and Barnabas for their message. Because those who were chosen for eternal life believed. Now this, this ought to bring us joy. Because by every estimation of the world, you and I should not have been chosen. 
We shouldn't have been the ones in the center circle. We shouldn't have been the ones with the most influence or the most wealth. We shouldn't have even been the ones in the room. But aren't you glad that God looked out in the crowd and pointed to you and says, you, I choose you. When the world rejects you, God says, I choose you. When the family pushes you away, God says, I choose you. When everything seems to disqualify you, God says, I know not only choose you, but I qualify you for the race. And when nobody else picks you, I want you on my team. It, it reminds me of some of my growing up years when I was in middle school. I wasn't exactly athletic. I'm not very athletic now either. But in middle school, it was pretty bad. I mean, it was kickball, and I couldn't kick the ball. It was dodgeball, and I would always get hit. It was baseball, and I could never hit the ball. It was just it was pretty bad. It was a sad case. Um, but I made a lot of friends being a sad case. And one of my friends was JK, and JK couldn't see and couldn't hear. And so JK and I, when they had team captains, and people would pick whoever they wanted on the team, JK and I would look at each other and say, well, here we go. And it would always end up with me and JK. And most of the time, the team captain would say, fine, I'll take JK. And I would saunter off to the team, unchosen by anybody, simply going to whatever team was left because I was the default. And sometimes I, I wandered through my life feeling like that unchosen, just defaulting to somebody's side, not chosen for any particular quality, just defaulting to somebody's side. But when I came into a relationship with the Lord, I realized that I didn't come into God's kingdom by default. I didn't just saunter in because I was all that was left. God looked out in the crowd, and like a team captain, he made eye contact with me and said, I choose you to be on my team. And today, God does that for all of us. And here's the best part. When we're chosen to be on God's team, we don't have to wear our own name jersey. God says, here, put this on. And on the back of our jersey is the name of Jesus Christ. Because when you come into the kingdom of God, when you're covered with the blood of Jesus, you get to wear God's jersey. And when you wear the jersey of Jesus, you always win. No matter what it looks like, when you're on the team of the Lord, you always win. You win every battle. You win every war. And no matter what it looks like, if God has chosen you, you're on the win team. Aren't you glad about it? Doesn't that bring you joy? Hallelujah. And so the believers, the text says, were filled with joy because they embraced the good news of the gospel. They were filled with joy because they understood what it meant to be chosen. And lastly, I believe the text tells us that the believers were filled with joy because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> They could reclaim their joy because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 50 tells us that all of the notable men and women, when they heard this good news of the gospel, when they started seeing the Gentiles high-five one another and say, he's talking about us, this made them very angry. Because the gospel is also about power. And in some countries, the gospel is not allowed to be preached right now because it suggests that there is a king that's higher than an earthly king. The gospel is a book of freedom, and it's a book that reminds us that God is in control no matter what's happening on earth. And this can make some people very angry. And so they tried to push Paul and Barnabas out of the city, and they thought if we push out the leaders, the movement will stop. They thought if we push out the spokesperson, then nobody else will speak. 
But they made one fatal mistake. They forgot about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> they thought that this movement was all about a charismatic Paul and a giving Barnabas. They thought that this movement was all about smooth-talking people and all about people who just happened to be good leaders. But they didn't realize that this was not about man. This was about God. This was not a human movement. This was a divine enactment. This was not people with smooth words. This was the very word of God. And so Paul and Barnabas, when they were rejected, they shook the dust off their feet, the Bible says. And I want to pause here and let somebody know that's probably what we need to be doing more of. When we get rejected, when people push us aside, when the doors seem to close, rather than lament and stay, sometimes we just got to shake the dust off our feet. Sometimes we just got to move on to the next thing. Because when you recognize that it's not about you and it's all about God, then you can be about your father's business. So Paul and Barnabas shook that dust off their feet and they went about their father's business in Iconium. And then the Bible tells us that the believers who remained were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Now joy and the Holy Spirit go hand in hand. You can't have real joy if you don't have the Holy Spirit. And you can't have the Holy Spirit and not experience true joy. And so the two went hand in hand because when they heard the word of God for themselves, when they accepted Christ for who he was and they received the Holy Spirit, immediately God filled them with joy. The Greek word in this text for filled means full to the point of overflowing. That means that they weren't just filled enough. They weren't just full enough with the Holy Spirit. They were overflowing with joy and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what your life would look like if you were overflowing with joy? Can you imagine what your life and your family would look like if you were overflowing with the Holy Spirit? I believe that we wouldn't just see one campus, we'd see ten. We wouldn't just see one outreach, we'd see a hundred. We wouldn't just see one or two people coming to Christ, we'd see five thousand. Because when the believers of God are full of the Holy Spirit, there is no stopping what God can do. When people of God make room for God to fill them, there is no stopping what God can do. Bernard of Clairvaux, one of the ancient fathers of the faith, said that we ought to learn how to be more like reservoirs and less like canals. A canal receives water from one body and immediately transfers it to the next. A canal is just a pass-through and things keep going from one place to another, but not so with a reservoir. A reservoir is like a pit and the water doesn't pass through until it overflows. And God wants us to be like reservoirs, that we would receive so much of his presence, so much of his joy, so much of his peace and of the spirit itself, that God would overflow and that would be the transfer. And what do we have to do for God to overflow in our lives? We've got to give God room. We have to learn how to make room in our lives so that the reservoir can overflow. Let me give you an example. Well, we moved from Charlotte to Maryland about four weeks ago, and I still haven't found a breakfast spot. But I used to have this great breakfast spot in Charlotte. And they had these big biscuits on the side, and they were all fluffy. And they had big pancakes, and they had grits. It was like the carb fest. It was amazing. And I would have my little carb fest in front of me, and then I'd have my cup of coffee, and I'd make it just right. And I would go nearly every week, and I would go and just prepare for the day and for the week and do my work. And so I remember one particular day, I'd mix my coffee just right. I had my grits on the side. Am I making you hungry? Goodness gracious. 
just, so I had all my car fest going on. And I had my sermon on the side, and I'm working through things. And so I ate a little, I'm working through the sermon. I take a couple sips of coffee. I ate a little, I'm working through the sermon. I look back at my coffee, and it's darker. I'm like, what in the world is going on? So I add a little bit more cream, I put a little more sugar, I stir it up. I'm doing my thing. I, I look on my sermon, I'm, I'm really kind of immersed in the moment. I look back at my coffee, and it's a little lower than before. I'm thinking, I know I didn't drink that much, so I make the coffee just right, I stir it up, you see where I'm going, and I'm eating my food, I turn back to the sermon, and lo and behold, the coffee mug is full. By that time, I start looking around, what in the world is going on? Lo and behold, right behind me is my eager waitress, holding the coffee pot in her hand. She just can't wait for the coffee to get a little bit lower, so that she can run up and fill it while I'm not looking. I got a revelation in that moment, that's exactly how God is with us. God is waiting for just a little room in our cups. And just like an eager waitress, God cannot wait to fill us up. And just when we give God a little room, God will come and pour. But here's the best part. God doesn't just fill the cup up just so. God keeps pouring and pouring and pouring until we overflow. He pours out his love until it pours on the saucer. He pours out his peace until it runs onto the table itself. He pours out his joy until before we know it, everything around us is soaking in the presence of God. And I don't know about you, but I want to be saturated with the presence of God. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be overflowing with the joy of the Lord. Because when I overflow, then you can catch a piece of it. And when you overflow, then I can catch some of that. And when the body of Christ begins to overflow together. There's no telling what God will do. When we overflow, our communities will be transformed. When we overflow, our churches will grow. When we overflow, our marriages can be saved. When we overflow, a generation will know Jesus. And I can't speak for you, but that's good news for me. When God overflows the church, we'll have joy. So make room for God and let him fill you up. Make room for the spirit and let your cup overflow. In fact, let's practice right now because when you praise God, God can pour out his spirit. When you offer thanksgiving, God allows an overflow. So let's try it right now. I dare you to give God praise. I dare you to magnify his name. I dare you to lift the name of Jesus. I dare you to give God glory. Hallelujah. I see the Lord. He's pouring it out. He's pouring it out. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your joy. Pour out your peace. Pour out your love. Don't stop now. God is still pouring. Pouring his spirit. Say yes. Yes. Thank you, God. Somebody here today, you've been really struggling to reclaim your joy. You've been struggling all week long. It's just been a tough season. Maybe it's been a tough year already. Maybe it's just been a tough day. If you're here today, God wants to help you reclaim your joy. 
And when you set your mind on the Lord, it's impossible to think about God and your troubles at the same time. It's impossible to think of the goodness of God and the dismal situation at the same time. So right now, God wants to minister to someone right now. If you're here today, you've been struggling with your joy, why don't you come to the altar right now? Don't worry about who's looking at you. Don't worry about somebody next to you. Just say, excuse me to your neighbor. Even if you're in the overflow, just come to the front of the room. If you're watching online, just lift your hands because God wants to pour out his spirit right now. He wants to pour out joy right now. And we thank God because God can do what psychologists can't do. God can do what doctors struggle to do. God can deliver us and people will be in awe of the presence of God. Do you believe that today? Hallelujah. God, we thank you. God, we thank you. God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for pouring out your spirit. We thank you, God, for helping us to make room. And, and we confess, God, we're not always good at it. We like to fill our own cups sometimes. We like to have things in control sometimes. We like to figure out all the details sometimes. We're sorry for that, Lord. And we pray that you would help us to make room for you. Help us to let go of the control in the name of Jesus. Help us to let go of trying to make sense of everything in the name of Jesus. God, we surrender. We surrender everything to you. We surrender our anxiety to you. We surrender depression to you. We surrender our sorrow to you. We surrender addiction to you. We surrender our grief to you. And we say, have your way, God. Fill us with the joy that anchors us in your presence. Fill us with joy that doesn't change based on the day to day. Fill us with your spirit. And we thank you, God, that you will give us evidence of your filling this week. This week, God, we declare that those who are standing before you will have a smile, not because it's pasted, but because it's real. This week, God, we declare that you are right now shifting someone's perspective. This week, God, we believe that you are lifting someone's eyesight to the hills, showing us from which cometh our help. And so I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are at the altar. I thank you, God. We acknowledge the pain. We acknowledge the heartache. We acknowledge the sadness. We acknowledge the loneliness. And we thank you that we can leave it right here. So take it away, God. Take away any and everything that would keep us from getting to you. Take it away in the name of Jesus. And we pray that you would replace the spirit of heaviness with a spirit of joy. We pray for the courage to praise you in the midst of hard times. We pray for the courage to say thank you even when we don't feel thankful. We pray for the courage to praise you even when it doesn't feel like you're worthy. We pray for courage to lift our hands in the job and to lift our eyes on the transit and to lift our, our hearts to you, God, even when we don't feel up to it. Give us courage because we believe, God, that praise is one of the weapons you'll use to shake off that sadness, to shake off anything that would keep us from having joy. So use us right now. Fill us right now. Saturate us right now. Pour out your love on us right now. Pour out your peace on us right now. Pour out your joy on us right now. And even before you're done, God, we say thank you. 
Thank you for your joy. Thank you for your joy. Thank you for your joy in Jesus' name. Come on, let's thank him together. Let's praise him together. Amen. Just encourage somebody near you. Encourage somebody near you and say, it's done today. It's done today. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I was just thinking, I found a female Steve Malazzo. Fire! <laughs> Woo! On fire! Praise the Lord. I just love, I love, to, I love to hear her preach, man. I love to hear her preach. Preach it, preach it. But it's truth, man, it's truth. There's one thing that really stuck out in my mind. You know, every time we hear a word, we need to take a takeaway, a takeaway. Something that we're going to do. Because, you know, just hearing the word but not being a doer of the word is like looking in the mirror and forgetting what we look like. Yesterday, you women learned about looking in the mirror and seeing what God sees. Amen? But if we're not a doer of the word, we just walk out of here feeling better, but we're not practicing and, and making it applicable in our life. And, and that's, that's the sad thing with most of Christianity today. It's, it, it's a message that we don't apply to our life. Listen to what Dr. Nicole said. She said, in order to be filled, you have to make room for God. That's rhema word right there. That's, that's a word for you today that you could take away. That you've got to ask yourself this question. One, am I so full of religion? Am I so full of religion? You know, am I so full of just coming to church? Am I so full of just going through the motions that my cup is so full that God can't fill us with himself because we're full of either ourself or religion or pride or we just don't give time to God. So, so we got to make some time. We gotta, we've got to give God room in our time. We've got to give room to God in our heart. We've got to give room to God to work in our lives. And if we don't, we're going to be empty and we're going to be joyless. We might have religion, but we're going to be joyless. The joy of the Lord is synonymous to the person of the Holy Spirit. So when you have the Holy Spirit in his fullness, you have joy unspeakable and full of glory. When you allow the Holy Spirit to do that work inside of you, how do you allow the Spirit to do a work inside of you? See, we all have already a fire on the inside. It's called the person of the Spirit. But maybe that fire is just kind of just just barely burning in our life. The Bible says fan into flame the gift of the Spirit. How do we do that? We give God room. We, got, we give God room as we spend time with Him in prayer. We give God room as we open up His Word and that fire starts to burn brighter. You know, when a fire is going out, you have to get the billow and you have to put wind back in the fire again. Today, Dr. Nicole put wind in your fire, in your soul. But now you've got to keep on putting that wind back into your soul. So we're going to pray a prayer of commitment right now. I want you to bow your heads 
And I want to ask you this question, the question I ask every week, because your eternal destiny depends on whether or not you can answer this question. So I'm going to ask it. If you died today, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? Positively for sure, do you know that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? If you say, I don't know if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Jesus today wants to give you assurance that if you die today, you're going to go to heaven. Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who, whosoever, you're a whosoever, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The wages of sin is death, separation from God. When we sin and we don't have a savior, we're separated from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so today, you might say, Pastor Steve, I don't know if I die today I'm that I would go to heaven. You need right now to ask Christ to be your Savior and your Lord. The Bible says you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved from what? Saved from what? From eternal separation from God. So I'm going to pray for you right now. There's not a whole lot of room in this place today to move around, but I don't want you to move around for a moment. I want to pray for you. And if you pray this prayer for the very first time in your life, there's going to be some counselors we call them altar counselors. They're going to come in a moment, and they're going to make themselves available for two kinds of people. One, the first person who needs some information about starting your faith journey, your faith journey. We have information, a little booklet that you need to read every day for the next seven days, little tiny booklet, a little bit of information every day because you need to give God room in your brain now so that you can learn about him. Amen? In your heart so that you can know him better. And then these altar councils are also going to be standing up here because if you need a miracle in your life, whatever it may be, the one wonderful thing that we keep on hearing about is miracles that God is doing today in our church, healing. I hear it every week. I hear about another healing miracle that God is doing. The other, the other night, this woman came over to me. She said, Pastor Steve, wonderful Romanian woman. She said, Pastor Steve, she said, I asked you to pray. I had surgery. The doctor said I couldn't get it all out. You prayed for me. I went back to the doctor. The doctor said it's completely gone. Cancer completely gone. God can do that kind of stuff all the time. So, so if you need prayer for whatever in your life, let's believe that God's a great God. To him be all the glory. Amen. If you need joy in your life and you need to surrender to God and allow the spirit to do a, a greater work in your life, come and be prayed for today. But let's all bow our heads right now. We're going to pray two prayers. Prayers for those that don't know Christ and, and a commitment prayer to give God room in our life. Are you ready? Let's pray together. Father, forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Lord, I turn my life over to you. Do a work inside of me. I receive you as my Savior, and make you my Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to come and get some information from a counselor. All right, everybody, all across this place, are you ready for that prayer of commitment? Raise your hands. All across this place, you're watching via live stream in the cafe. Come on, raise your hands. Prayer of commitment. Are you ready? Lord Jesus, thank you that you've given me everything I need to have joy and peace in my life. 
you have given me the power of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, you have come to live inside of me. I commit to give you room in my life this week so you can fill me with joy and use me for the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, somebody give the Lord a clap offering. Come on, give him a shout. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Don't forget. Look at me. Don't forget. God has a plan for your life. And it's, have a great day. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you later. So